You're watching Channel 37, WHXN, New Salem. Deck those halls, trim those trees. It's Channel 37's Midnight Movie Show. First up, can Princess Amber solve a mystery while front pooping a baby? Find out with a Christmas prince, the royal baby. Then, have you ever seen Shaun of the Dead? So did the people who made Anna and the Apocalypse. They got me out of bed for this. Happy holidays from Channel 37's Midnight Movie Show. I'm Dan and with me are Mike. Hello. Dave. Hello. And Will. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Is that a zombie impersonation or just your reaction to the films? <laughs> I mean, it's my reaction to one of the films, but it's also a zombie impersonation. <laughs> oh, we will definitely get getting to that. Do you have any names to share? No. I've been thinking, I want this baby to have a normal life. Our child will be heir to the kingdom. Still, I went to public school, and I was riding the subway by myself when I was 10. We'll find a new definition of normal together. But no subway riding. Well, luckily for you, Aldovia doesn't have a subway. <laughs> Tonight, your majesties will sign the truce between Aldovia and Penglia. I'll be the first queen to sign it. The penguins are quite traditional. We, the queens, could bring the treaty up to date. You wish to modernize our 600-year-old tradition? History isn't made by those who follow rules. May I also offer our service? I have seen the artifact. It's a bit tacky. It's a priceless work of art. It is my honor to preside over the sacred truce. Let the signing begin. Perhaps now it can be replaced with something more palatable. Who in this palace had the means, the opportunity, the motive? If the sacred truce is broken, there'll be a curse on the firstborn child. If the treaty isn't signed by midnight Christmas Eve, it takes effect. The treaty is missing, and if we don't find it, our baby is cursed. You're gonna have to explain that one. It's a long story. Emphasis on story. I'll be on the first flight in. Oh, could you please bring me some bagels? Don't judge my cravings. It's going to be fun. I don't know if I'm ready to be a queen and a mom. The plane is standing by. We're departing first clearing. I know you don't believe in the curse, but right now, I need your help. We'll leave no stone unturned. No one does Christmas like the Aldovians. What is it? I can't even reach my own slippers. Allow me. Perfect fit. So first up, oh god, why, <laughs> why? <laughs> because we're completionists. I guess so. <laughs> I blame you, Sims. Good. I like this. <laughs> Oh, good. Well, then you get to, you get to synopsize. Oh, a son Christmas, of a bitch. <laughs> a Christmas on, prince. I'll, 
I'll, I'll do it. I did the last two. Please. <laughs> a Christmas Prince, the royal baby. <laughs> Starring a bunch of people that do not want to be there. <laughs> Welcome back to Fake Landia. <laughs> Once again, it's the run up to Christmas. And the Queen is now pregnant in a way that she'll never let you forget because she will not take her hands off her stomach. <laughs> Well, the, the, the she's acting for two. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this year, it's time for their um, and their once a century re-signing of a peace treaty between Fake Landia and Fake Landia Two. This time, it's personal. <laughs> Big East Asia. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, like an- another king and queen from the other country come to visit. They are, they're there to sign the treaty, but <gasps> the treaty has gone missing. <laughs> and <laughs> and if the treaty isn't signed by midnight on Christmas Eve, then technically both sides will be at war, even though nobody seems particularly committed to doing this. <laughs> but, but more importantly, their firstborn child will be cursed. <laughs> <laughs> My God. I'm sorry. So, so can Queen Anna find out what's happened to the treaty, give birth to a child, prevent a curse, and a lackluster war? And more importantly, whose side is Simon on? <laughs> Suffice to say, everything works out all right. A child is is born, supposedly. And Christmas is once again had. (laughs) (laughs) And we can now draw a line under this whole sorry business and never speak of it again. Oh, thank you, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you uh, for for doing that, Dave. Um, I guess we'll start with you then. What what did you think of it? (laughs) As if I couldn't tell from... uh... (laughs) Oh, I mean... I'm nostalgic for when we watched the first one, and we all really mm. liked that. We did, and and the law of diminishing returns has very firmly kicked in by the time of the Christmas Prince three. Like how, like how does this country work? Like it's supposed, <laughs> it supposedly has a government and a prime minister, but the king and queen are sorting out economic policy, and apparently running the government. It's it's like they made the first one. It got really successful, and they said, "Let's do some sequels." And the writers are like, "Shit! Now we have to work out how this country works." Yeah, like, in the first, in the first one, it's not the important thing at all. But for the like for the following two, obviously, they actually have to focus on the business of what it's like to be a monarch, and they've got no idea; <laughs> they don't know what it entails at all. Um, yeah, like this. This was an hour and a half of nothing. Like, like. <laughs> There are there are some events, but nothing of any consequence. I was wasn't gripped at all. Like the they've they've clearly cut back the money again. The royal palace has three staff. <laughs> <laughs> like like any any time you see a room filled with all the cast members, that's everyone in the palace. Like they don't even have a cook anymore. <laughs> the, the, the bit that really struck me when it like it, right at the beginning when they were doing the um. Sort of like, (laughs) basically, she's doing her kind of Christmas round robin letter on the internet and just sort of saying, oh, what a a wacky year it's been for us. 
Uh, the bit, the bit rock is CED budget had been slashed again when they were talking about state dinners, and it's just a bunch of people sat around a regular sized dining table, <laughs> <laughs> like, they're, like they're just having a meal at home. It's like that is not a royal dining room that a state dinner is taking place in. Yeah. <laughs> Do you get the so, impression that 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 Aldovia's like Magna Carta is basically just the rules of Calvin Ball? <laughs> I mean, also, like we were talking about, some one of the most efficient like economies ever because somehow they've wiped out like three hundred, yeah, three hundred billion dollars of debt, and they'll be out of debt by like f- by the spring. No country in the world yeah. is ever out of debt. Like, despite the fact that they don't actually appear to produce anything, so I don't know what they're exporting. I don't know what they're importing. It's just sort of like. They've just got very creative accountants. Like I, a year ago at this time, unemployment was at 102%. <laughs> so, so basically within a year, they paid off what, like 3 billion, yeah. like, I don't know, Aldovian Copex or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, I, to be fair, we don't know what the exchange rate, that could just That's be true. like the, the equivalent of $800 or something. I don't know. <laughs> But yeah, like there's this terribly executed red herring that maybe Simon's behind everything, which he very clearly isn't. Like, it's it, it's badly executed. There are people who are back in this for no reason other than that they were in the previous films. Like, the dad does nothing in this. Like, he spends like ninety percent of the film trapped at an airport. Like Zahil and her friend are back as a couple, but they do nothing. Like, like the the only person, like basically the only people who have a plot is her friend from the magazine with you know because she's in a relationship with Simon and that might be Rocky because he you know he might be scheming and plotting again but that's it but it's like there's no real drama like I don't care about any <laughs> of this. Aldovia is apparently a nation where the royal family just go casually cycling through the center of the town. With no protection or security, or just like you know, they all just go to the Christmas market and just swan around like they you know, just like they're regular people. And everyone's surprised to see them there. It's it's basically like they they didn't know what to do with it. Like they knew they wanted a baby, but other than that, this is probably the most phoned in thing I've seen, and it's it was just dull, and I didn't care about any of it. Okay. Uh well, we'll give you a little time to to decide what you really think. To be fair, for that, yeah, first impressions can be kind of knee jerk. Maybe I need to yeah, <laughs> need to true. ponder it. That's true. Well, let's hear from Mike. Mike, you just said that you uh, you enjoyed it. Let me let me let me hear you uh, tell us what the fuck why. <laughs> <laughs> Justify yourself, Sims. Justify yourself, Sims. You know what it is? It comes down to I'm at a stage in my life where I'm tired of cynicism. Mm-hmm. And when I can find a movie that has absolutely zero cynicism anywhere in it, yeah. I just bow to that movie That's is fair. really what it comes down to. Um, Dave, I appreciate everything you just said. Because it was right. (laughs) (laughs) It's just for me, like going into, let me backtrack again, giving Dave credit there. 
you said uh, nostalgia for the first film. Very yeah. much so. That's why I was like, come on, we're doing a Christmas special. We have to finish the trilogy. Like, duh. Like, so I know this is on me. This I, I accept that full responsibility. But yeah, so going into this one, I knew generally what to expect. And of course, we know the characters. We know the world. We know it's going to be approaching saccharine. I'm not actually reaching it. And I just, I just enjoyed it on that level, you know, and I was, you know, okay with them kind of pointing the finger at Simon, even though at this point it's like, he's did a full face turn. We're not going to turn him heel in the trill in the third one in a yeah. trilogy. He's done a full face turn. It's not going to happen. So, you know, I was like, okay, whatever. But, uh, but it made sense that they would do it because they still don't entirely trust him. So I was on board with that. Um, I actually thought, and I don't know his name, but the guy who plays the king, Richard, mm-hmm. he's always been, if I recall correctly, he's always been like kind of the weak spot in these for me. He's always seemed really wooden. And I think that's kind of like the way it's, he thinks it should be played. Like, yeah. I'm the king. I have to be this. That but even when he's with his wife, he's still very wooden. But the scene where he's playing with the baby camera is the most charisma this guy has put on screen in these three movies so far. And I was like, where have you been? Where have you been? <laughs> like, like, I am absolutely okay with him being Mr. Yes, I am the king. And not wanting that responsibility in the first one. But like at this point, we should have seen more of this. And I was so pleased with him. I love the scene with him and the visiting king. Was his name Ty? The visiting king? Ty. Yeah. And like when they're trying to put the crib together and they're like, wait, is this headboard actually backwards? Because we've all put together an Ikea bookcase and put the back on the wrong damn way. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> like, I, like that's real. And that just falls apart. I'm like, okay, that's funny. Like th- the only part I actively disliked about this one was them giving any credence to the curse. <laughs> well, because they, they kind of had to because like the whole thing of oh, our two nations will technically speaking be at war. Like, seeing as both kings have no interest <laughs> in actually going to war with one another, mm. like, that's not a high-stakes thing. It should be, but it isn't. So, because they haven't got the high stakes for that, they have to start giving credence to the curse instead, because they need a deadline, they need a crisis. <laughs> and yeah. they've got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, so so they have people kind of buy trying yeah buying extra into the curse because like I don't know we like we, we need to have a ticking clock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like it just I had no problem with Emily buying it because what is she like 12, 13 years yeah. old? She's a kid. Fine, whatever. She hears a she hears a fantastical story and she's like ooh ghosts, you know. <laughs> even though it scares her, it excites her. But then all of a sudden, everybody's like, "Well, we better make sure we get this signed just in case because." even though curses don't work anymore yeah. or ever, yeah. we got to make sure. Fuck. <laughs> it's 2019, <sighs> people. You know? So that was the only part that, like, really pulled me out is when the adults started buying into it. But, mm-hmm. yeah, just the familiarity, the sacredness of it. I was here. I was here for that. Really, really dug it. And you know what, Mike? I think that's completely fair. I think that um, this is not the kind of movie that's going to, you know... Yeah, that this is that is what you go to these movies for. Yeah, you know, you know exactly what's going to happen. You know exactly how it's going to end, and you feel you know you, you, it's just something that you know feels nice while you're sitting and drinking cocoa and <laughs> you know. Oh, I, let me add one thing. Sorry to sorry to cut in. Like they set up the mystery of of the baby's gender as if it's going to be like it's a, it's clearly a girl. 
Mm-hmm. It's clearly a girl. <laughs> From the first movie, they talk about changing the, the 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 way the structure works when it comes to what's the word I'm looking for? Um, the line of succession. Yeah, yeah, like it's been the whole thing, and then we got the two queens trying to get their names. It's gonna be a girl. Like, there's no <laughs> come on. <laughs> but they're so, making it as this big mystery. It's like, come on. so like just you just say that just reminded me of something as well. It's like. That woman who was delivering the baby. I don't know who she is, but she's not a doctor. I don't care how many white coats she's wearing. She's got an ultrasound machine and a stethoscope. But she's not a doctor. Listen, Aldovia has one person who has the title of doctor at any given time. And that she just happens to be that person right now. Yeah. yeah. If, your, if your name is drawn out of the hat, <laughs> you are doctor this month. Yeah. And, you know, as doctor, it's your job to deliver babies teach chemistry at the local university and cut people's hair. Like that's yeah. <laughs> teach the Pilates class. Yeah. <laughs> All I can think of is the character is there's a character on passions who is, she is a doctor, but she has like, she can also be a psychiatrist. She can also do like every other thing. And she's also the leading authority on the penis. I mean, it's gotta be somebody. Yeah. Somebody yeah. <laughs> in that world has to be the leading authority on the penis. Yeah. Well, it's it's comic book scientists. Mm-hmm. Like Banner's got like seventeen degrees. Where did he find the time? He's been the Hulk since he's twenty five. He's yeah. smart. You know, I, it's like when you're the smart guy in comics, you're just the scientist of everything. I feel like when uh, we were watching Ragnarok and and Banner even said, "I have seven PhDs." I think Wendy says, "No, you don't. <laughs> Nobody has seven PhDs." <laughs> <laughs> Five of them are honorary. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's yeah. the kind of guy that calls himself Dr. Banner because he yeah. spoke at a commencement one time. Yeah. Yeah. The University of Wyoming gave him an honorary degree in smashing. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's, so let's... I'll accept that canon because that means they cannot tell the Hulk it's not real. They cannot. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's uh, bring this back. How about what, what did you think of this? So my, I think my main problem with the film is it's trying to be too many things at the same time, and with the with you know added characters plus returning characters, like somehow nobody has enough to do at any given point. Mm-hmm. Like if this had been you know the Christmas Prince, the Royal Treaty, and it's entirely about the treaty, and maybe like the background thing is Emily not be not Emily, the Queen Amber Amber, Amber. yes. If the background thing had been Amber, like, not having trouble conceiving, like, and then she just happened, after they signed the treaty, she just happens to, oh, I feel sick, and then she finds out, oh, I'm pregnant, that would have been cute. Mm -hmm. But if it had been about, if it had been about Amber, you know, being pregnant and then dealing with all that, and, you know, also maybe there's a visiting dignitary that doesn't approve of her, of a commoner being part of the royal lineage now and they happen to be important and they happen to be an important money person then okay great that works but as is we're dealing with a treaty we're dealing with you know a woman who is pretending to be pregnant for most of the film and also we're dealing with a christmas curse and ghost (laughs) And, and you're basically the most competent person in the last two films is, is spent most of the time with the boyfriend that she barely interacted with in the previous film. But he's there because they need to show, hey, she's not going to break up with a guy in a year because you're freaking 14. You, you, you're you allowed to have more than one boyfriend in that time. Yeah, it's just like, 
but I, if the movie had just stuck to one horse, I probably would have enjoyed it more. But it's trying to like, it's tr it's like, okay, this horse is great, and but I need to jump on this horse now. I need to get on this horse, but the first, but you need to make sure all the horses are running at the same time in case I want to get on one of the other ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it did feel like they were squeezing a lot of stuff into seventy or eighty-five minutes or whatever this was, um, and it felt like, especially the first half hour of it, they were really speeding things along like just beat to beat to beat to beat to beat even though nothing was actually happening <laughs> mm. i'm going to be completely honest i did not i hated this movie <laughs> i did i'm sorry mike um it's okay and i think at least part of that is because i enjoyed the first one so much sure um for me a big 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 part of it is rose mckiver is absolutely fucking delightful in everything that she's in and they somehow managed to not let her be that here um and i say that actually she gave every indication of of this being contractual obligation that she did not want to do she did not look excited at all about the material that she was being given in this movie and i really felt like she was very much tamped down um like she's not like we don't get you know, Amber and her chucks. We don't get Amber kind of roughly like butting heads with Ursa. We don't get any of the things that kind of made her stand out in the first two movies. You know, she's just sort of being the queen and her feet hurt. I think in a way, the pregnancy thing kind of really hinders the film because the script calls for Amber to be doing a lot of creeping around mm -hmm. and sort of searching for stuff. So they can't like she does not look nine months pregnant. Like like she has a wee little bump, mm -hmm. which again, like in, in in some outfits is practically invisible, which I'm sure is why the director is constantly telling her to, to be holding the bump. This is like, look, it's still there. Because a lot of these films are usually about Amber investigating something. She's sneaking around, she's looking into things. I mean, that was like the, the last two films. I mean, yes, we, we mocked her shoddy journalism last time, but yeah, <laughs> it was still a thing that she was doing. You know, she was she was investigating things, she was tracking down stories, and they tried to give her a bit to do like, like that here, but you can't have obviously you can't have somebody who looks nine months pregnant stealthily sneaking around the palace because she'd just be wandering around wanting to, wanting to sit down. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, she, she wouldn't want to be doing any of this. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it, it's like either you have the pregnancy thing be the focus of the story or you have the other thing mm -hmm. because the, the two are like oil and water because, you yeah, you can't have a comedy sneaking about here and there. Yeah. While, like, the most she suffers from, from being pregnant in this, really, is not being able to reach her feet to put her slippers back on. Mm -hmm. And, like, the rest of it, like, the birth seems to happen sort of straight away. Like, apparently, she she has the birth, they announce it, she's got hair and makeup done and, mm -hmm. like, a nice outfit on within sort of, like, two hours. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, whoever wrote this doesn't know anything about pregnancy, doesn't know anybody who's given birth. <laughs> it doesn't know anything about anything, basically. Like, wh Wendy watched this with me. Uh, she wasn't able to make it to the recording today, but but she did watch this movie. And she she pointed out, like, that exact same thing that you just said, Dave, that, you know, she just, you know, gave birth to a three-month-old. And <laughs> somehow <laughs> it's still completely put together and receiving visitors and everything looks Glowing great. and waving and everything's yeah. fine. 
And like, and then she remembered when Princess Catherine had had given birth to to George, and like they were very clearly dragging her and like like holding her up, <laughs> and she somehow managed to stand at the balcony and and not fall down, but had yeah. had very very clearly just given birth. <laughs> you know? Like that's a thing that <laughs> you you need a few minutes to yeah. you know. <laughs> You've squeezed a whole other person out of you. You kind of need like a couple of minutes to put your feet up with a cup of tea. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sorry, all the hypnobirthing that you have done, you're if you're pregnant, you're not taking time to sign a treaty and also mm. de- deliver like a monologue on why this one background character who was never important to the last two films, but suddenly is is suddenly present in this one is the villain. You're not doing that. You're like literally concentrating on, oh my God, my vagina is exploding. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, like, I thought at least they were setting all that up about you know, surges rather than contractions, all this positive stuff. If only just to have the kind of, you know, comedy thing of her being in sort of absolute agonizing pain that goes on, well, this was all bullshit. Mm-hmm. But that even that doesn't happen. And like, and and and, I, and on one hand, I actually credit the movie for this for not going. Like, at no point was there any kind of a "will she lose the baby" subplot yeah. or anything like that. Um, they set it up when basically this baby was like a month premature. You know, like the due date was well into January. Oh no, it was not the eleventh. They said. Hmm. They said it was the eleventh of January, so it was only like a maybe like a fortnight premature. Oh, okay. Well, that's still pretty fucking premature. I mean, yeah. that's you know. And again, this baby comes out, and he's basically a two-year-old, and like, <laughs> but you know, again, that's a road that they could have gone down, but there was no yeah. drama attached to it. It just is one of the. Oh, I guess it's just one of those things that happens. I guess we're having this baby a little earlier than we thought. Well, well, I mean, like, unless you're Charles Dickens, infant mortality isn't something you'd always squeeze into your Christmas stories. No, yeah. not yet. In these kinds of Christmas movies, sometimes you do. <laughs> Listen, if there's a problem with the baby, then the baby can't be cursed. That's true. <laughs> That's true. I mean, this isn't like Sleeping Beauty where the curse is death. Like, the curse is going to end up being, I don't know, premature balding and also, and also, you know, just being that weird royal that nobody sees in public <laughs> lives in the attic we don't speak of it <laughs> honestly princess emily should have been thrilled because because of the laws she could then use this as you know the reason to stage a bloody coup but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who's to say that doesn't happen yeah <laughs> well now that she's like officially like fourth in line she yeah. can just say you know what fuck you i'm going slitting yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the christmas prince four the royal coup yeah. <laughs> See, I would watch the shit out of that. <laughs> the Christmas Prince Five, the People's Revolution, <laughs> aka Hagam High, <laughs> in which the people of Fanklandia realize, huh? You know, the fact that our entire country revolves around getting ready for Christmas—that's not actually a sustainable <laughs> model for our civilization. Yeah. I mean, apparently they're doing really well for themselves. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe all all the world's countries need to spend the entire year getting ready for Christmas. It's all it's all crypto. That's all it is. <laughs> hey, as long as they get out of it before it collapses, right? Yeah. That's probably what it is. <laughs> Fake land here is full of crypto farms, as far as the eye can see. That's why there's no snow at the Christmas market. It's all just <laughs> it's the heat generated by all the servers. Uh-huh. 
as it turns out, the reason why they're why they were in trouble financially is because they were really in the tech bubble. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Still recovering from the dot com bubble bursting. <laughs> I will. I will say. Uh, I will agree with, with you, Mike, about um, King Ty. I thought I loved him. He was fantastic. Yeah. I loved. I loved that you know the the visiting heads of state come in, and he's just this goofy guy that isn't good at putting together furniture. Yeah, <laughs> I would like a Ty and Ming spinoff film. Mm-hmm. Oh, you can't tell me this wasn't like a, if this were TV, this would be a backdoor pilot yeah. for yeah. for something with those two or those three because I the, yeah. the, the 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 assistant, so, the shifty, yeah. obviously evil assistant. Yeah. <laughs> It turned out to be neither. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I got to talk about that scene where she and Simon are talking about whatever they're doing to fix the economy or whatever it is that um, what Simon's Melissa, right? That's that's Amber's Mm -hmm. friend. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she's spying on them and they're like, we're going to get what we deserve. <laughs> well, and then at the end, you find out nothing shifty was going on. They were picking out the ring, da 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 da. They were fixing the economy, and it's like <laughs> then it, 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 in no way is it the same. But it reminded me of uh, Dan, the, the master in disguise, right? But he doesn't need to be. Khalid. Time flight, yeah. time, time flight, time yeah. flight. Time yeah. Yeah. It reminded me of that. It's like why are you acting evil when? There's no reason to act evil here. Like you would have said, like, we'll finally get the recognition we deserve. Now we'll finally get what we deserve. It's like fuck you. I'll <laughs> we'll finally get what we deserve. A successful marriage for me and whatever your motivation is. Though <laughs> 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 so, so I did like Simon trying to practice how he was going to have that conversation with Melissa. Mm-hmm. And like He's like trying it out and like nothing's working. It's like, you don't understand what it's to be a royal. It's like, no, that's actually too elitist or something like that. It's like, <laughs> it was like a really nice human line for the villain of the first movie who's come, you know, who's now a good guy, right? You know, we got to, we got to trust him. I did like those little moments with him, not how we got there because of the being evil for no reason thing, but I did like him trying to be like, how do I, how am I going to fix this? And he can't because he's Simon. He doesn't know how to fix it, <laughs> but he's trying. He's trying. Give him credit. How would you like to be a dude? I'd like that a lot. Okay, that just you don't need. You're not going to be, but how do you like it? How's that sound? Uh, again, I suppose like the last one was like it was all right, but it wasn't as good as the first one. So I was kind of like I was a bit dreading this going in, but like I I wanted this to be better. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's not like I want I, I I was going and expecting this to be terrible, but it, it yeah it was it was just sort of like I I at least the last two had something I could hang my hat on. Mm-hmm. You know, and I felt like I, I couldn't hang my hat on anything in this, and I guess that's why I was like because obviously, you know, like you, you grade Christmas movies on a curve, you mm-hmm. know, like you you aren't grading them on the same thing as like you know other types of films. You kind of grade them amongst themselves, and like just kind of like like this series has done this better mm-hmm. the previous two films. So like I mean, like, I, I get this just kind of meant to be kind of not really watched seriously. It's the kind of thing you put on in the background while you're decorating the house or wrapping presents, that sort of thing. And that's fine. Absolutely fine. And it does absolutely have its place. But even within that genre of film, there are there are grades. And and this kind of felt sort of like down the lower end for me, unfortunately. I feel like this would have struck me as a perfectly typical, serviceable Hallmark Christmas movie if the first one hadn't been so good. 
if I hadn't enjoyed the first one so much, because the first one, re- I was expecting the first one to basically be this, you know, mm-hmm. um, and when it wasn't, I was like, oh, hey, that's all right. So that's why. I think I got a little angrier at this movie than it did. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you I, I chose a one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I expended a lot of energy on on a Christmas Prince, the Royal Baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, although it had an honest to god Scooby Doo scene. Oh yeah, with the with 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 the the Queen Mother and and uh, what's her name Emily yeah. skulking around the dungeon looking. <laughs> Looking for the uh, the treaty, which was I mean, get locked here. here, and it's <laughs> awesome. Although they find they find the treaty when Emily like falls backwards, cracks a stone open with her fucking spine. The girl with spina bifida fucking just died. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like that's what the fuck. <laughs> Mm-hmm. you know like her whole thing is her spine being exposed <laughs> that absolutely should have just destroyed her on the spot see there you go that's the curse then because it was isn't richard what was richard's plot in the first one was he adopted or was yeah. he yeah. Yes. adopted so she's technically the firstborn that the curse is talking about mm-hmm. there we go so her falling over breaking her fi- spine that's that was the actual curse except that know? nothing happened <laughs> There was no curse. Her her curse is that apparently she's functionally immortal. She doesn't. (laughs) She doesn't. She's not even in the wheelchair in this one at any point. She's entirely on the crutches. That's true. Yeah, Yeah. I think the only time we, yeah, like when they're doing the sledding thing with the boyfriend, not the sledding, but you know what I mean. That's the only time it's even like, oh yeah, but then so is Amber. So I think it was Amber. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Like I think the actress was just like. I'm not even going to, I don't even want to bother with, you know, that part of it. Mm -hmm. I want to actually stand for a movie. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Give me the crutches. Yeah. Oh, she can go work with Bradley Cooper. (laughs) I don't know how many people are going to get that right now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And also like the the, the Scooby-Doo ending of the revealing of who was behind everything. Mm -hmm. And so like... (laughs) Well, they had the same thing in the last film. That's they need to repeat that aha yeah. moment. Yeah, but like, at least like previously, the guy in, in the previous film, the guy they revealed as a villain was very obviously the villain. Mm. You know, like yeah, it's more like him getting his comeuppance rather than revealing the oh, it's him. Whereas like this was really meant to be, oh, and and then his reason for doing it, he was like, oh, I'm for, I'm fulfilling a revenge blood oath. It's like, what are you a fucking Klingon? <laughs> <laughs> Like, had you had this, that, and not to mention, it's like literally, okay, somehow the evil revenge house has been kept that last name up until like two generations ago. Mm. Not even two generations ago, one generation ago. And somehow in all of this, you, in all the onboarding to be palace staff, nobody noticed, huh? Your family, your mother shares a name with the evil revenge house. That's not going to affect your workplace, is it? <laughs> You're not going to do some evil revenge shit in a couple of years, right? And of course, he only pulls the trigger on the revenge now. Not yeah, all the yeah. years he's worked there and could have set this up. He said, I don't know how bright this well, guy I, is, but clearly it ain't way up there. Well, because it wasn't specifically against the other country, wasn't it? he was looking to screw over so he, he wouldn't have been able to do it any earlier than now okay 
because because it was meant to be revenge for somebody from the other country supposedly poisoning one of his ancestors or something. Something, yeah. I'd, yeah. I'd, honestly, I'd stop listening at that point. <laughs> and he had pretty much the same attitude towards the entire thing as the as the two countries had towards you know imminent war. Which is basically, yeah, I'm not actually excited about this. It's just something I got to do. It's not, right. you know. <laughs> I've, I've got to fulfill the blood oath of revenge, okay? <laughs> I didn't want to hurt the baby, though. Meh. And, and the way everyone's accusing him of cursing the baby, like, like it was, it's a, a, it's a thing that's actually going to happen, and mm-hmm. B, something he chose deliberately to do. Yeah. But I can't believe you would try to harm Amber's baby. Like, no, this isn't a real thing. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm serious about this. I'm. I would not at all be surprised if this started out as a Christmas Prince three, the Christmas Curse, mm-hmm. and as it went through rewrites or the directing process, that part got slowly backburnered for the yeah. treaty part because the remnants of the curse stuff that just sort of pop in near the end. There's too much of that. That that yeah. really makes me think that was more influential in the front pat that a front portion of the movie. And they're just like, we'll leave it at the end, whatever. But I, I am like, if if there's a draft that was the Christmas curse, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Because the way it ends, as you say, it's like everybody's buying in on that. And they're not worried about the treaty anymore. Mm-hmm. What are we doing yeah. here? Because again, sort of like, th- th- there was no risk of actual war for the treaty. Everyone mm-hmm. keeps talking about, yeah. Everyone says, technically speaking, but no one's actually buying into it. Like, maybe if the king had been a bit more, yeah, the other country's king had been more militant and said, mm-hmm. right, right, well, we're going to go off to war like that. Like, if that was in, at any point an actual threat of a thing that could happen, you could take well, it a bit more seriously. But the but the guy's building cribs with the other kings. Like, at no point <laughs> is he going to turn around and go, right, no, we will... We will march our armies across your lands and destroy you. Once I finish playing this board game with your little sister. Yeah. <laughs> well, they mentioned at one point that Aldovia doesn't even have a standing army. That's so what I was going to say. I think they say it about both countries. Maybe yeah. it's just Aldovia, but I thought it was like both countries don't even have a standing army. So I was like, what are we worried about that? The war will be fought with lawyers. They, they, <laughs> they did mention in, you know, that, you know, yes, we've paid off 80% of our debt to Penglia. Technically, being at war is going to make it impossible for us to finish paying the other twenty percent. Oh, it's like student loan debt. Yeah, basically. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. basically, basically, we'll we'll owe it all immediately rather than paying it off in installments. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh, you're twenty minutes late, so now you're paying the entirety of the bank. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. So but I think even that was just kind of that was mentioned as a very cursory thing. It was never really repeated as a serious issue which again like you know had that been a thing that they needed to do to basically save the country's economy from going bankrupt because they'll owe all this money to Penglia like that's a decent angle but nobody mentions it <laughs> right I think part of the issue as well is uh, is is entirely a production standpoint um most the company that made the film also did um the princess switch for Netflix and I think honestly, like the uh, first one, I think came out the same year as it came out the year before this one. Mm-hmm. The second one was coming out the same year. And I think they may have just decided to shift all their production assets over there because that was the hot new thing. And this, and this is like the, this is the old thing that, you know, we're going to wrap up, but also we're making a cinematic universe because literally the king and queen uh, from this one show up in the, in the second princess switch in as background characters at a coronation. Oh boy. 
Okay. Which makes absolutely no sense because in the first Princess Switch, um, the Vanessa when the Vanessa Hudgenses are watching this film, the first film. <laughs> well, so, I mean, I guess in that universe, the first film was based on the true story of the journalist who went over there. <laughs> See, that's how they fixed the economy from the rates they got from watching Amber's blog. <laughs> yep. So, like, basically, this is all just part of the Motion Picture Corporation of America multiverse. Yes. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Which also, <laughs> aside, speaking of the blog, Van- um, not Vanessa, Amber's stupid blogging desk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We basically, the main reason it looks so stupid is it's meant to be shielding the baby so you can't see it. So you can then, at the end of the film, reveal that, oh, the baby's there. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's the reason. Yeah. <laughs> like, but still, though, looking at the desk, I wasn't sure. Are you writing a blog, or are you welcoming everyone to a new year at Hogwarts? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or are you about to play Takata and Fugue in F minor? On the... <laughs> <laughs> or are you casting a curse on someone? <laughs> All of which are actually much more interesting choices than uh, <laughs> what actually happened. Yeah. Yeah. Julie blocks the like gang at the end. Like, Hello, my loyal readers, because she felt uncomfortable typing subjects. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will. There is one point that, and again, Wendy pointed this out to me uh, before I noticed it myself, that I think is actually an important point, which is um, Sahil and her buddy Andrew, which, you know, they kind of got together at the end of the last one. And in this one, there's really no mention that they're a couple. They're basically, mm-hmm. yeah. they're basically a uh, you know, a interior it's, designer and her put up his put upon assistant. Yeah, so b- well, business partners. Yeah, yeah, they're business partners. Be- they're because like it's SNA um, mm-hmm. designs or something like that. So yeah, but they they don't really they don't even pay so much as pay lip service yeah. to there being a couple. Yeah. Like it's all up to what the actors are doing. And it, and it all would have been, in a way, it would have been equally fine if they weren't a couple. Mm-hmm. You know, that they're working together, but they don't, they don't address it one way or the other. Yeah. You know, it's all just very vague. Listen, they banged a couple times. They realized, yeah, this isn't really for us, but we also have good business ideas together. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I have met more. I have met more gay people in my life that you know have have had casual sex together and then they just remain friends because it's like we i don't want to pursue a relationship with you but i like you as a friend yeah. that's realistic yeah yeah well that's that's the subplot that's the big reveal with um simon and i can't remember the name of the the assistant from fake India too yeah like that's their. It's like okay, fine. We dated a couple times. We as viewers can take the context from that. Yeah. It's like, well, we gave them the plot. We can't give these guys the plot. <laughs> <laughs> I say plot, but you know, you know, yeah. And again, like with with Sahil and the other guy, there is literally nothing for them to do. Yeah. Like they're, they're yeah, wielded because they were. The, yeah, they, they were wielded <laughs> because they were. They were in the last one, but there's actually nothing. nothing I mean, there's that kind of very mild fake out when you think Zaheel might have been behind the treaty dis- disappearing, but like mm-hmm. that's one scene. And it's like you could have cut them out and lost nothing from the film. Mm-hmm. He's they're there to give him a paint roller later, yeah. yeah. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Again, I just I. For me, it really is just all down to McIver. 
she just isn't she's she's not feeling it this time around and i really feel like that comes through yeah, yeah. i mean the, the, i mean the previous two films were especially the previous one was kind of carried by her mm-hmm. being bringing that kind of cute christmasy energy mm-hmm. like even when it was flagging it was like, like she was she was bringing the energy that kind of kept it going and like you say here she's like she's present but like she's not being given the material Mm-hmm. And what she has been given, she's clearly struggling with. And I don't blame her because I think anybody would struggle to elevate this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically, what we're saying, Mike, is you're wrong. Oh yeah, I accepted <laughs> that. Going, yeah. I knew. I, yeah, I knew. I knew. I knew the deal. Yeah. Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. Young Anna was nestled all snug in her bed, not knowing tomorrow she'd meet the undead. How would she survive what this season would bring? Well, that's simple. She'd stab, she'd slash, and she'd sing. Justin Bieber's a zombie. After that, we watched Anna and the Apocalypse. Um, Will, would you mind walking us through this one? Okay, yeah. So um, the films, the film centers on a you know small village in Scotland. Um, the main character, Anna Shepherd, she is she lives with her um, father. Their mother passed away. The mother passed away like a few years back. She um she's gonna be graduating um high school soon and she wants to just you know go and travel the world for a year before starting university. Dad doesn't really approve of that. She has a best friend um who's an artist who's in love with her, another friend who's a filmmaker, um, their friend Steph, who is an exchange an American exchange student who just and the school is basically ruled over by a tyrannical like vice president, not vice president, vice principal. And yeah, they're getting ready for the big Christmas pageant while, you know, a bunch of students are out sick with the what they're thinking is the flu. But um, as it turns out, like after after a night of working at the bowling alley and the Christmas pageant going off, that it wasn't actually the flu. It's actually a fucking zombie apocalypse. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Anna and John and the best the best friend who's in love with her end up like getting stuck at the bowling alley with a couple of their other friends. A bunch of people, a bunch of the students and family members are basically locked up in the school with the vice principal, who's pretty much taking control of everything. With Anna's father basically just kind of trying to be the voice of reason, but along the way they. 
they find out, okay, well, the military is supposed to come to the school and evacuate it, which doesn't end up happening because the zombies end up taking out the military and converting most of them into zombies. So Anna and her friend and the friends that are at the bowling alley decide they're going to get to the, they're going to get to the school, get in, a, um, get some cars and drive away and figure out what to do next. Then like it, it then at that point it starts starting to be a kind of, you know, a very, a very you know normal zombie movie where just the friend group slowly gets picked off by zombies and they're picking up a couple of other friends along the way who mostly get picked off with the exception of a of a guy that Anna had basically dated in quotation marks briefly and they get to the school the pr vice principal has completely lost it and let the zombies in to kill like most of the fam most of the people in the school that you know he didn't already kill and then the um then Anna rescues her father but he's been bitten and it's just at the end of the movie it's just um the guy that she that Anna had dated once her and um Steph the exchange student they're the only survivors they're going to drive off in I don't know also it's a musical yeah, <laughs> it is. Uh, Steve even <laughs> pulls us back in. <laughs> um, thanks, Will. What did uh, you? I know that you advocated for this movie. Can you tell yeah. us what your history is with it? And so I remember like hearing about this film, like um, in, in during production because it was just such a it's. It's such a weird clash of genres. It's a musical, it's a zombie film, and it's a Christmas movie all in one. And I was like, okay, this is, I'm very interested. Like it is and when I watch it, I basically noticed, okay, this is a film made for me. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, even if I'm not I'm not generally a fan of zombie movies, but like still just the zombie aspect with everything else kind of just, you know, makes it work work all together for me. Like the song okay yeah most of the songs are very um high school musical very high school musical but at the same time like i that's part of the point is i mean that the film came from a student film that got spun off into this and it, the student film was actually a parody of high school musical and like, I don't know, it's just something, I mean, it's it's a film that I feel like I can put on during the Christmas season, and it's like, it's good for a few laughs, it's good for, you know, it's, it is actually, I have some pretty good violence in it. I wish, uh, the only thing it's missing is a man on fire um, stunt. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Mike. Um, okay, thanks, Will. Mike. First of all, I had either of you guys have you ever seen this before? No, no it's your first time. Mike, what did you what you think of this? I wasn't grooving on this, didn't dislike it, mm -hmm. just wasn't totally and what it comes down to, it wasn't even the film. Mm -hmm. I'm sure I'll have some more to say about the film itself. I'm just kind of tired of zombie movies. Yeah. You know, and it, maybe this relates to the comment I made about Christmas, you know, the, the Christmas movie, the three, whatever. Yeah. Is it, it's just, I don't know, it's just for me, I was thinking about it after I was done with this one. I'm like, what wasn't clicking for me? And I kind of think the last zombie movie that I can recall being really into was the Dawn of the Dead remake. And that was 2004. The Zack Snyder? Yeah. And I would have seen that. 
I didn't see that in the cinema. I saw that on DVD. So probably 2004, if that came out, if that's when it came out on DVD, if not 2005, I saw it right after it came out on DVD. Mm -hmm. And that really was the last time I did watch the first season of the walking dead. And I enjoyed that for what it was. So I'll add that in there. But yeah, I think it really has nothing to do with this movie and just me kind of being tired of that genre, you know? Um, and then also watching this, and I'm, I'm sorry to say it this way. It's if I, if I want to watch Shaun of the Dead, mm -hmm. I'll watch Shaun of the Dead. Mm -hmm. And I know the trailer calls it what Shaun of the Dead meets La La Land, I think is what the trailer calls it, mm -hmm. if I recall correctly. So that's not even me necessarily putting it on there because uh, I don't know. It just, it just wasn't totally clicking with me. And I think it's a lot of my stuff, mm -hmm. baggage that I'm bringing to it than anything I took away from it. But I just never really found myself fully engaged with any of the characters. I didn't really care who survived and who who didn't, you know. And it being the type of movie it is, you can kind of figure out who's going to live and who's going to die. Like, the dad's going to die. Duh. Like, it's good. That's this kind of movie, you know. So, like I said, it's, it's more what I brought to it than what it was presenting. And that's sort of where I'm coming from with this one. Okay. You know? Awesome. Thanks, Mike. Uh, Dave, how about yourself? Uh, I was say probably more in camp Mike with this one. I I mean, firstly, I like I knew a little bit about it, but I didn't know it was a musical. So when people started mm. singing, it's like, God damn it, they've done it again. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I I wasn't a particularly big fan of the songs. because um, like if nothing else, having watched a lot of musicals for the <laughs> this year for this podcast, <laughs> I've grown to have an appreciation of good songs and and songs I don't get on with. So I kind of felt that I felt the songs here, I mean like they weren't bad, but they were just kind of just a bit lackluster for me for my taste. They were just sort of there. Mm -hmm. I mean I suppose high school musicals are fair comparison, you know, like it's like there's nothing incompetent about it at all. But it I just like I didn't find any of them particularly memorable. Like like if you ask me now which songs what 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 were the songs like, I'd I'd struggle. To be honest with you, like, I know there were songs. Um, I think yes, they they very much want to be Shaun of the Dead the musical, but I think kind of like <laughs> they they put in a genre too far to do it. I mean, because Shaun of the Dead is a comedy horror film, and they there is a very deft balance between the horror and the comedy, which makes it work. Throwing a musical on top of that as well, and I just think it's too much to balance to get the mix right. Uh, so yeah, I like like my I I kind of didn't feel like the bits which were clearly meant to have emotional weights landed as well because I didn't feel as invested in the characters as like uh, I did in the moments in Shaun of the Dead when it happens when characters die in that. Um, I kind of felt they kind of wasted having Mark Benton and Paul Kay in this film because they're two they're two very good actors and neither of them are given that much to. Do I mean Paul K does have that kind of maniacal evil headmaster song, mm -hmm. but and like if you've never seen Paul K before, you'd think that this was kind of like a might be a bit of an over the top performance. But having seen Paul K playing other roles in other films and TV shows, this is actually quite subdued for Paul K. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, like uh, if like if, if you haven't seen uh, the BBC adaptation of Jonathan Strange and Mr. Novel. Firstly, I thoroughly recommend it because it's a really, really good adaptation. But he plays a fantastic character in that. Who's like he's just sort of a like a rogue kind of Elizabeth, uh, sort of kind of like Victorian magician who's 
Actually, they're more Georgian because it's the it's the Napoleonic Wars. Um, yeah, he's absolutely off his head, <laughs> and he, he he's fantastic in that. So, like, I've had... Game of Thrones too. Yeah, he's yeah. Uh, Thoros in in Game of Thrones for a few for a couple of years. Yeah, so yeah, he's he's some both of them are very very good character actors who like I, I kind of like if you're gonna get if you've got a couple of really good character actors in this I feel like maybe give them a bit more I mean like they do okay I mean like Mark like the whole goodbye scene with Mark Benton after he's been bit was very very well played because it's Mark Benton um, but other than that he wasn't really given heaps to do I think he, t- he tries to hit a couple of the similar kind of Shaun of the Dead beats like the song when they're walking around when she's coming out of the house and is oblivious to everything that's happening behind her is kind of Similar to that bit when Sean just Sean goes to the corner shop and doesn't notice the carnage because he's just half awake and buying the cornetto. But again, doesn't kind of land quite as well for me. So like, it's it's a competently made film. I wouldn't call it bad, but it it just didn't click with me. I feel like I'm kind of in the middle on this one. I liked it. I wanted to love it. I I, I wound up just kind of liking it. To kind of paraphrase this movie, it's Buffy of the Dead, right? That's mm-hmm. kind of what this is. Yeah. Um, like I know that the, the filmmakers said, "Yeah, well, you know, we took our inspiration from things like West Side Story and Rocky Horror and things like that." And yes, there are some nods there to Shaun of the Dead and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I'm like, you literally like the, again the scene that you just mentioned, Dave. Literally wholesale took that from Shaun of the Dead. Like that's not a you know that's not an echo that's not a, a homage that is a straight up rip of that joke. Yeah. And honestly, it probably took me about half an hour for the movie to click with me at all. Um, and I think it was when the kids, the four kids, kind of all got together, that it really did start to work for me. Um, because I liked I liked that group of of kids mm. very much. Um, Anna and John are really, really good together. I thought, I thought they had really, really good chemistry and, um, I've already forgotten her name. I'm sorry. Steph. Yeah. Steph. Yeah. Give that, give that woman her own movie now. Like she was really, really good. Mm. Um, like yourself, Dave, the songs did not do anything for me. Um, although the penguin rap, I, I will admit that I laughed out loud. (laughs) During that song, <laughs> um, having seen those two on the stage, they're, they're definitely becoming zombies later. Yeah, <laughs> and, and sure in, enough, in, they in, are in, on specifically in those costumes. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> we're gonna get zombie penguins. <laughs> um, that yeah, I absolutely laughed out loud during that during that song. <laughs> um, and to a, a lesser degree, the Lisa's what is it? Fuck me in the ass for Christmas or whatever it was yeah. called. <laughs> 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 um <laughs> but um yeah i really thought that the interplay between um the four te- you know young teenagers you know, well again i say teenagers it's you know your your typical musical 25 year olds playing 16 year olds but um <laughs> um i thought they they all worked together really really well they had really good back and forth really good chemistry 
Um, and I did find myself feeling something. First off, when John was about to tell Anna how he feels about her and she kind of cuts him off so he won't do it because she's just not there. That's not what she's feeling. And then when he he got bit and then like kind of wrapped himself around her to push her through the, the crowd of zombies and then got it. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I will admit that I actually did find myself feeling something at that point. But overall, yeah, I liked it. It was fun. It was fine. I wanted, I really thought like, like this, like yourself, Will, this had all the ingredients for something that is basically tailor made for me to just love. And I wonder if I had seen it when I was younger, if I might have liked it more, but it's just too reminiscent. It's it's too blatant with its um, inspirations. There's, you know, it, it, the, the Shaun of the Dead is, is super, super obvious, but the Buffy the Vampire Slayer is absolutely in there as well. I, I, yeah, I would agree. Yes, the performances are fantastic. When I say that I didn't enjoy this, didn't enjoy a lot of this, it has nothing to do with the performances because everybody's doing doing their best. They've picked people who can sing as well as act, and mm-hmm. which for a young cast is sometimes difficult to do. And yeah, so, so I, I I don't have any issue with the performances. Mm-hmm. It was really for me just kind of like the balance of the script and the songs, which kind of made it not work for me but like like you say yeah but the performance especially Steph I thought was fantastic mm-hmm. so and has a really good voice as well like mm-hmm. yeah, they gave her all the power bits to do like yeah whenever there was like a chorus what did, uh, there was the specific scene that I kind of wanted to talk about was the scene in the bowling alley right. um which overall I really liked yeah. um it's the only scene I can think of that really kind of has like any significant amount of gore hmm and I loved where the you know zombie is kind of coming after Steph, and you know she's just barely holding him off, and then he like grabs her boob, and yeah. she at that point like destroys him with her bare hands. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was great. But um, mm-hmm. what did you guys think of that scene? Just because it's it's a little different from the rest of the movie. I I quite enjoyed that bit. Like, it's, it's the kind of the first bit of over zombie fighting. Yeah. Like yeah, with like John standing there shouting, "What do I do? What do I do?" And like you just sort of shout at him, "You are standing right next to some bowling balls, mate. What? Why are you asking this question?" <laughs> <laughs> Which mm. sure, sure enough, he does eventually cut it on, and, and that, that's it. He smashes the guy's head with, between two bowling balls. It's nicely done. Yeah, yeah. Bowling balls are not a bad zombie apocalypse weapon. I mean, the problem though is you have to get close enough. If you miss, then yeah. okay, great. Your arms right there for them to take a big stack on. Yeah. <laughs> but then also, as was proved, like bowling pins is very good against <laughs> yeah. zombies, especially from behind. Uh, yeah, so I like the kind of like Chris being quite yeah being as ineffectual as we'd expect him to be in, but the, him and the zombie, because neither of them are wearing proper bowling shoes, so they're both kind of like trying to stay up and not fall over <laughs> on the bowling alley. Yeah. Was, also, was, was quite nicely done. Also, the zombie head coming out of the ball dispenser. Oh, yeah, yeah. Again, thanks to the, the, the um, baller move of Steph getting a strike, so she... <laughs> so the thing comes down to decapitate it. That was, yeah, that was nice done. And and realizing that it was the all those zombies of the stag of the stag do that was um mm-hmm. there the previous night. Mm-hmm. So, so there's like they're beating up somebody with just kind of like got like best man written on his back. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, that, I mean, what, when they hit the um, turntable, I was half expecting something like "Don't Stop Me Now" Don't to start, start me playing. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, 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 that felt like it was. I mean, some music was did start playing, but like, presumably it wasn't anything they had to license. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that, but that was kind of the moment it was made for it, and just having the kind of the, the random song playing in the background while you're fighting zombies because you hit the turntable by accident. Mm-hmm. Also, the bowling alley is just having a random ball pit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I mean, I honestly, if you're hiding from zombies, that's actually a good place to sleep. I think it's like there's there's lots of places in Britain like that, which kind of like they offer all the amenities of like a big style bowling alley, but they're really stripped down and sort of like it's basic, so the ball pit's inflatable and it's just kind of stuck in the corner. And like, yeah, they've only got four alleys, and <laughs> it's like. <laughs> like, it, like all the amenities you expect to the bowling alley, but just sort of it's tidy and a bit shit. <laughs> See, US bowling alleys, what I expect from it is a arcade game that may or may not work. Yeah. A, a bar that serves like the worst pizza you've ever had, but you'll eat <laughs> it because you're bowling. Mm-hmm. And shoe rentals. Also, there might be a jukebox, but it won't actually play in the actual bowling alley, just in the bar. Yeah. And, and maybe some pool tables. Yeah. And also bowling animations that you're like, wait, was that racist? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, once again, being being the Brit amongst this, all of that, that bit in the bowling alley felt very realistic for sort of like a crappy little bowling alley in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Like, that's very much what you'd expect to have. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's not the film's budget showing, if anything. That's just one of the most realistic things in the film. <laughs> I do say I loved, even though like, it makes no sense, I loved, loved, loved that they were escaping under the ball pit, just yeah. squatting and, <laughs> mm-hmm. and walking under the... Like, it was, again, to bring it back, it, it's very much a Scooby-Doo kind of... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Until a zombie sits on it. Until a zombie sits on it and starts pissing. (laughs) And then you get to, and then they get to Nick's like, you know, little friend group, like who are are just like going out and looting and hunting zombies on their own. And one of them has watermelons for weapons. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. And one of them is holding knives in between his fingers, like Wolverine claws. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which once again, not necessarily a bad weapon, but you were really exposing yourself the second that you if you miss. Yeah. I mean like, like Nick had the only sensible weapon in that situation. Like, he had the baseball bat. Mm-hmm. Everybody else just had some random shit they picked up. Yeah. Because you know they only found one baseball bat and Nick has the lead just go, Well, I'm having that. All <laughs> <laughs> the rest of you you guys can sort yourself with the rest of the crap we got, but I'm having that bat. Yeah. I don't know if you have a like a weighted X cube controller, maybe that works. <laughs> <laughs> like like an original, like yeah, <laughs> first gen. <laughs> but like you know, again, they have these horrible, like these stupid. Again, like the guy, you know that the guy with the Wolverine claws thinks he's like incredibly badass. There's no way that he doesn't drop those as soon as he's been doing it for a couple minutes. Okay. But of course, that's the whole point that these guys are fucking morons and they're going to be zombies in a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you killed your dad. So sad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah again, that was kind of like, felt like it, they were meant to be giving him a bit more emotional weight. They don't, the film just doesn't have time for it. Yeah. yeah. And the fact that he survives and John dies. Yeah. yeah. 
It's like one per one of you deserve to be the love interest. The other one of you deserve to, you know, go and they get to get eaten by zombies when you think you're bigger for your britches than you are. Yeah. <laughs> Although again, I did like that, you know, she wasn't interested and yeah. he and the movie respected that. Mm. Yeah. You know. But it, I don't to me sort of like if, if there was gonna be sort of like a moment quite similar to when Ed gets bitten and shield the dead. Yeah, that whole oh god, no, not like anyone but him kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. that should have been it and it didn't quite stick the landing on that one for me. Just because it happens really quickly. Yeah. And there isn't that kind of goodbye that Sean and Ed have. Mm-hmm. So I mean like yeah, it is kind of you know quite a heroic death. But yeah, uh, the, I mean like and it's played really well. It's just again just the way the beats worked didn't quite yeah work for me. I also liked the scene where Chris and Lisa are kind of surrounded by mm. by zombies. And Steph is like in the back of the room and like Steph and Chris, like again, Steph is is gay, so she's not interested in Chris, but they're like best, best, best friends. Mm. And he's in this situation where he's there's no ending into this situation that involves him not being bitten and eaten by yeah. zombies. And so they just kind of have that conversation with their eyes where yeah. basically I love you, leave. <laughs> kind yeah. of thing that was i thought a really nicely played scene um in a movie that didn't have a lot of scenes like that yeah. like like yourself dave like again you know you know that tony is going to get or or and his dad is going to get eaten yeah. <laughs> like that like there's no way this movie doesn't end that way um I think it was you, Dave, that said that. Mike, I'm sorry, but again, it's a you know you you have to you'll have to leave kind of thing that you know you you know that you you know the speech is coming. You know she's going to cry and say no. I can still say no. Okay, you got to go. But I didn't feel anything with that one, which was a shame. So, but I'm glad that they were able to do something like that with Steph and Chris. Yeah. And because it's a zombie movie, we had to have a reference to that one scene from Dawn of the Dead where the guy gets uh, gets his guts ripped out yeah. by the crowd mm-hmm. of zombies. Yeah. And this time it's Paul K. And the yeah. character is being such a is being such a creep that it's like, yeah, you know what? I'm cool with it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's just cartoonishly evil. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I, the one thing I was happy about is I was almost sure, oh, God, is he going to be a pervert? Okay, cool, cool. He's just a megalomaniacal asshole, not, but he, at least he's not a pervert. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did, like, we had um, Chekhov's accidentally swinging star. Yeah. The, <laughs> the yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when the bits of the swings and nearly hits, um, then he hits Paul K and is like, well, God, I wonder if that's not going to pay off later. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I don't know. Does anybody have anything else? Or the last thing I'll add, very minor thing, is uh, the dad is Clive yes. from Rose. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 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 So I was trying to see if I knew him from anything else, and I was like, I don't care. He's Clive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, it's 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 really really funny how again here in in, in the U.S. we don't see a lot of things he's been in, mm-hmm. um, and that's the I think that's the only thing I know him from, but. You know this 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 one thing he did in two minutes in an episode yeah. almost twenty years ago. <laughs> it's just so recognizable that that's just immediately. But it, well, interestingly, oh, he was, that guy. Yeah, he was also in like the, before Russell T Davies did Doctor Who. He did another um, drama with Christopher Eccleston called The Second Coming, mm-hmm. 
which was basically what if the second coming actually happened and it was real. Mm-hmm. And Christopher Eccleston is the son of God. <laughs> he's come back. He's absolutely the son of God. <laughs> like there's, not, there's no ambiguity of his ears. No, he is the son of God. Mm-hmm. And Mark Benson was the, was, basically, was basically Satan. Or like he was a guy who's being kind of possessed by Satan. He was kind yeah. of like uh, trying to ruin this guy's day, basically. <laughs> and he was really good in that as well. I've heard really good things about that, and I've been—I've always been meant to yeah. to see. He, it. Eccleston is very—it's almost like a prototype Ninth Doctor in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I think Paul K was in a couple of twelve do- twelve Doctor episodes. Hmm. Oh, okay. it was um, under the lake and before the flood. Yeah. Mm. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, I can see him. I can see him in that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, 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 he over here. He initially got well-known for a comedy character he used to do called Dennis Pettis, who's like his, his shtick was he'd, he'd ask, like he'd, he'd be at press junkets for celebrities and ask them rude questions. Mm-hmm. You know, he was just kind of like, but yeah, he went, he's gone on to do lots and lots of acting and he's always very, very good. Like, like if, if Paul K turns up in your film, you're like, it, it's a good thing and he will be one of the best things in it. Yeah. Like he was here. Like he, was definitely, he was definitely one of the best things in it here. Yeah. One of the other little bits of trivia and I feel like, you know, I feel like Dan will get more of a kick out of this than anyone else. Um, Roddy Hart and Tom Riley, who wrote the music for the film, went on to write the music for the Animaniacs revival on Hulu. Ooh, okay. Huh. <laughs> I gotta finish that. I never finished that. Is that is that any good? I, I, it's all right. Like, I was yeah. always a little bit like uh, cynical. I mean, I've not had a chance to watch it because, like, I mean, I, I love the original Animaniacs. There's an episode about gun control, only they aren't allowed to say guns, so they. <laughs> it is as like rooted in, like, twenty whatever seventeen ish culture as the original was in 1992. You know, it's exactly is it, you know it goes out of his way to be as on the nose and topical as the original show did, and as a result, it doesn't age as well now a couple of years later maybe it will feel less that yeah. in a few more years yeah sure. you know kind of like you know again like in the late in the late 90s bill clinton th- playing the sax is no longer funny yeah <laughs> i mean i think my main problem was that there just is not enough slappy squirrel yes instead <laughs> it's, it's all just the warner brothers and the warner sister and pinky and the brain mm-hmm. yeah at least they kept the fucking hippos out of it. Oh, Jesus Christ, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think even they realized quite soon that the hippos were not a longer ongoing concern. <laughs> Same with um, Rita and... Runt and Rita. Runt and Rita, yeah. They're, Runt Runt. They're, again, very very quickly dropped. Because <laughs> it just kind of didn't have anywhere, anything to do with it. And honestly, I don't think the good feathers would work now because you need, no. you need good feathers as a cultural touchstone. And I don't think. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Good feathers was. I mean, Good feathers had some funny stuff in it, but I'm not sure it was that topical then. Yeah, like the movie had come out a few mental. years earlier. I mean, honestly, one of my favorite things of the original Animaniacs was Chicken Boo, just because it was just yeah. how fucking surreal it was. <laughs> yeah. Like that's some timeless shit. Is that? Yeah. <laughs> Will, am I misremembering? Did they do a Katie Kaboom in the new one, or am I misremembering that? I can't remember honestly. Um. Yeah, I'm. I, I maybe. <laughs> so one, uh, of, one, of my, one of my favorite gags from that is from the uh, from the original series is a Buttons and Mindy gag mm-hmm. when he's ch- 
He's chasing Mindy on a building site, and at one point he has to stop because Tom and Jerry and Popeye are also chasing babies <laughs> on the same building site. <laughs> yeah. I, I honestly, like, I, I always loved Katie Kaboom, just if for no other reason her dad was inexplicably um, Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was recently watching... <laughs> I was recently watching Reform School Girls, <laughs> which, uh, if you don't know, it's actually on the list. It's a, it's a comedy, but it's you know also a, a women in prison movie, <laughs> and you know starring uh, Wendy Williams from the Plasmatics. But one of the one of the girls in that movie is Sherry Stoner, who was uh, Slappy. So like Slappy the really? Squirrel is, is in this women in prison movie. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of awesome. <laughs> right, funny, funny enough, I was watching an uh, old episode of New Girl, mm-hmm. and the woman who plays Schmidt's boss in that is Dr. Tiana from um, Lower Decks. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. She's been she's been a lot of... I mean, she's a character actress. She's yeah. one of those, like, one of those, hey, it's that person. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I can't see her in New Girl now without just, yeah. like, just imagining her as, like, a horny cat. <laughs> swearing, absolutely swearing her head off. Uh, so I think we've officially run out of uh, and in the apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for uh, for coming on, and um, yeah, enjoy your holiday, everybody. Go to bed. Channel 37's Midnight Movie Show was presented by Will Ackerman, Dave Probert, Michael Sims, and DJ Toland. Okay, seriously, for real this time. No booth time for a while. Baldur's Gate 3 just came out for Xbox, so I'm gonna be trying to seduce a halfling druid for a while. <laughs>